My name is Dr. Joshua Knapp. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers, as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition. Doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christ-likeness in all we do. Hi, this is Dr. Joshua Nab, and welcome to the 43rd episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this episode, I'd like to talk about a topic that is highly relevant for 21st century relational health, referred to in the secular clinical psychology literature as interpersonal mindfulness. In the 21st century, mindfulness as both a state and meditative practice has taken the secular clinical psychology literature by storm, given it has been embedded in many clinical interventions for a range of mental disorders and other types of psychological suffering, such as depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, and so forth. As a psychological state, At its most basic level, mindfulness includes the ingredients of present moment awareness of what is unfolding in the here and now, non-judgmental acceptance of whatever emerges in the inner world, focused, sustained attention on one thing at a time. So really, if we combine these, it's present moment attention that's non-judgmental. As an actual meditative practice, we can be mindful of sensory experiences of the breath and basic behaviors such as walking, washing the dishes, and eating. Extending beyond individual functioning, mindfulness has recently been applied to relationships or interpersonal interactions, social interactions, including being present to interpersonal exchanges with non-judgmental awareness and acceptance and focused attention which I'd like to discuss in this episode, including a Christian alternative, given mindfulness as both a state and a practice comes from the Buddhist religious tradition, millennia-old Buddhist religious tradition. In fact, for Christians, contemplating God and practicing his presence is the Christian equivalent, from my perspective, of interpersonal mindfulness, which I'll be covering in today's episode. So for Christians, what is an alternative to interpersonal mindfulness that can help us to be more present, to be more attuned to our relationships, to be less reactive, and to be more accepting so that we can improve our relationships across a range of settings, including family life and work life and church life? So to start, I'd like to ask a few opening questions. What is mindfulness? What are its ingredients? Is it a state, a trait, a meditative practice, or all three? How can the practice of mindfulness help to improve mental health, 
What about relational health? How might Christians benefit from the insights gained from this line of research on mindfulness? Given the secular clinical psychology literature seems to think that mindfulness has a lot to say about psychological suffering and its antidote. What, if anything, does the Bible say about the topic? And lastly, what might classic Christian spiritual writings say about mindfulness, if anything, or its equivalent, which I believe is Christian contemplative practice, practicing God's presence and resting in the God of love, which is revealed to us through God's special revelation in the Bible. We worship, follow, serve a God of love who is omnibenevolent or infinitely good and has our best intentions in mind. And he is really with his providential care, working all things out for good. So can we practice God's presence in the midst of our interpersonal exchanges, whether getting the mail and interacting with the mail carrier or interacting with the clerk at the grocery store or even more importantly, in family life and work life and congregational life. So to offer a few opening quotes to get us warmed up here, one popular contemporary mindfulness author is quoted as saying, quote, feelings come and go like clouds in a windy sky. Conscious breathing is my anchor. Another 21st century mindfulness author, Jack Kornfield, said, quote, in the end, just three things matter how well we have lived, how well we have loved, and how well we have learned to let go. John Kabat-Zinn, yet another popular contemporary mindfulness author, suggested, quote, you might be tempted to avoid the messiness of daily living for the tranquility of stillness and peacefulness. This, of course, would be an attachment to stillness. And like any strong attachment, it leads to delusion. It arrests development and short circuits the cultivation of wisdom. In one of the most famous definitions of mindfulness, John Kabat-Zinn said it consists of, quote, awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. Turning to the Christian tradition and its mindfulness equivalent, the contemplation of God and practicing his presence, the medieval monk Brother Lawrence is quoted as saying, There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and more delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. Brother Lawrence also says, quote, Think often on God, by day, by night, in your business, and even in your devotions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. The Trappist monk Thomas Keating wrote, quote, God's first language is silence. Everything else is a translation. The late Catholic priest Henry Nouwen suggested, quote, it is by being awake to God in us that we can increasingly see God in the world around us. Finally, the late Trappist monk Thomas Merton noted, quote, monastic prayer, especially meditation and contemplative prayer, is not so much a way to find God as a way of resting in him whom we have found, who loves us, who is near to us, who comes to us to draw us to himself. So here we can see some of the vivid descriptions of both mindfulness coming from Buddhism and Christian contemplation and practicing God's presence, which, of course, comes from Christianity. Across traditions, they share in common a few key mental skills, including focused, sustained attention, 
present moment awareness, and non-judgmental acceptance. Yet for Christians, it is a relational practice given we're focused on God, maintaining an awareness of his love and accepting his will, which is unfolding within the inner and outer world right here, right now. So before unpacking these definitions and practices in greater detail, especially focusing on the interpersonal or relational benefits of being mindful in Buddhism or contemplative in Christianity, I'd like to share a personal story. Throughout my adult life, I've struggled with both rumination and worry, collectively described in the secular clinical psychology literature as perseverative thinking or repetitive negative thinking. With this style of thinking, my mind goes and goes, so much so that I can be lost in my head, what mindfulness authors call being on automatic pilot. Not not really aware of the world around us, but instead lost in, in the mind. Frequently, because of this, I'm not present to my relationships, especially with my wife and children, and most importantly, God. Quite often, I should be focusing on and enjoying my family or relationship with God, and I am instead going over and over and over a past conversation or relational exchange in my mind, or anticipating relational conflict in the yet-to-be-determined future. And when this happens, I'm not enjoying the people before me, and I'm by no means practicing God's presence, resting in God, to use one definition of contemplation. It's exhausting, to be frank, and it robs me of this precious short time God has given me on this planet to be with the people I love. So over the years, I've had to learn through many of the skills embedded in mindfulness to be more intentional, to be more intentionally present so I can savor, enjoy, and be responsive to the relationships within my family. On one particular recent occasion, my wife had just come home from work and she was sharing her day with me. Rather than being fully present with focused attention on her, non-judgmental acceptance of her experience, and being with her in the immediacy of the moment, experiencing the newness of having a conversation with her, what mindfulness authors call beginner's mind, experiencing each moment as if it's new and precious. And, and instead of being present to her with present moment awareness, I was lost in my own thoughts. After a short period, my wife picked up on this. It wasn't easy, uh, wasn't hard to pick up on. And she then expressed a look of hurt on her face. And as I noticed her hurt, I immediately recognized I was lost in my thoughts, lost in my head, and I quickly pivoted to practicing these needed skills, such as focusing on her words and experiences, being with her in the present moment, and accepting her experiences in the here and now. I also used a short prayer word, love, to practice God's presence and emulate Jesus' love in my present moment exchange with her which helped me to recognize the importance of fully showing up to display a benevolent, selfless love toward her. Because the human mind is fallen from a Christian perspective, it's by no means perfect. We struggle with attention. We wander with our thoughts. And so some kind of anchoring prayer word emanating from scripture, in this case love, can be helpful to bring us back online so that we can be fully present to the people around us. Although this is by no means the only example of my struggles with rumination, worry, and autopilot, 
I believe it fittingly captures the struggle many of us have with being fully present to savor and enjoy the relationships in our lives. And so with this story in mind, let's turn to mindfulness, including its qualities, practices, and applications to relationships, then explore a Christian equivalent, which I believe is practicing God's presence and Christian contemplation, contemplating the God of love, resting in the God of love, uh, inviting God to be with us in our interpersonal exchanges with other people. God is actually already there, but we are acknowledging what's already there, that the God of love is working in and through us and working things out for good. And by practicing his presence, we can be more like him. We can emulate his son and we can be selfless and self-sacrificial to deepen the relationships with people around us. So now turning to secular psychology, over the last several decades, Western society has really increasingly drawn upon Buddhist psychology to make sense of and respond to human suffering. As both a state and a meditative practice, mindfulness has been especially influential in the secular clinical psychology literature, which I talk about a lot in this podcast, given it seems to be ubiquitous everywhere as a way to understand suffering and a way to ameliorate suffering. In terms of a definition, one of the more popular ones from John Kabat-Zinn is simply, as I mentioned before, paying attention in a particular way to, quote, on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. More succinctly, the APA Dictionary of Psychology defines it as, quote, awareness of one's internal states and surroundings. In a theoretical article that's been cited over 10,000 times, a team of experts on mindfulness suggested that mindfulness has two main ingredients. First, there's self-regulation of attention, quote-unquote, with one's attention focused on what's unfolding in the present moment, especially the inner world. And the second ingredient would be, quote, orientation to experience, end quote, capturing an open, curious, non-judgmental attitude toward whatever emerges, whether pleasant or unpleasant, in the inner world such as difficult thoughts and feelings, sensations, memories, or images. So we might say that mindfulness is present moment, non-judgmental awareness, attention, and acceptance. We're not fighting against what's happening in the moment. Instead, we're observing it with non-judgment, with an open curiosity, like we're observing something as a child for the first time, a dandelion in the field. We're taking a bite out of ice cream for the very first time. We're smelling uh, fresh-baked cookies coming out of the oven for the very first time. We're going to the beach for the very first time. We're watching a sunset for the very first time. Uh, we're experiencing Christmas for the very first time. So there's a sense of open, non-judgmental, accepting curiosity towards all of life, which is easy to see then why this is helpful. Because our critical, judgmental, ruminative, worrying mind often ruin things, ruins things. It's a ruiner. It ruins uh, a lot of things because we get critical, we judge, things are not quite right, I wish things were different, our mind is, is discontented, complaining, and so beginner's mind can help us in the present moment to savor what's there. To date, mindfulness as a state or a collection of mental skills as well as mindfulness as a meditative practice, such as being mindful of one's breathing, eating, walking, doing the dishes, and so forth, has been applied to all kinds of types of psychological and physical suffering, such as responding with non-judgment to symptoms of depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, physical pain, diseases, and so forth. 
You're just as easily going to find mindfulness being practiced in K-12 education as on an oncology unit or in a, a boardroom among CEOs. There are meditation rooms in, in corporations, corporate headquarters now, retreats among executives uh, in, in big business. In terms of a definition of interpersonal mindfulness, more recently, it's been applied to relationships and formally defined as, quote, when people are interpersonally mindful, they maintain a receptive awareness of what is going on during interpersonal interactions, moment by moment, end quote. So when we are mindful of unfolding interpersonal interactions, we're aware of our own thoughts, feelings, sensations, memories, and images, as well as the experiences of the other person, such as their mood, tone of voice, nonverbal communication, such as body language, and so forth. So overall, the main ingredients of interpersonal mindfulness include being present in the unfolding moment to one's own and the other person's experiences, which includes an awareness of the inner states of our own self and possible inner states and observable outer states of the other. We're also being non-judgmental and accepting towards the other person and being non-reactive towards the other person. So important in our highly reactive cancel culture society that is so quick to attack, so quick to criticize, so quick to want to cancel people so quick to want to react and let people know what we think. But the question becomes for Christians, is this Christ-like? Or did Jesus display an attitude of non-reactivity? Was Jesus quick to act, quick to speak, or slow to speak? So these mindful qualities in social exchanges, presence, awareness of self and others, Non-judgmental acceptance and non-reactivity have actually been measured with an interpersonal mindfulness scale. And research has revealed that uh, interpersonal mindfulness is negatively correlated with a range of symptoms uh, of psychopathology, such as ADHD, depressive and anxiety-related symptoms, stress. So as we endorse items reflective of more interpersonal mindfulness, we endorse less symptoms of psychopathology as well as interpersonal mindfulness has been positively correlated with what we might deem to be positive interpersonal uh, uh, qualities, such as humility, honesty, empathic listening, and authenticity. So as we display more of the skills of interpersonal mindfulness, we also endorse more positive relational, uh, if we call them characteristics or traits, as well as we endorse less symptoms of psychopathology and psychological suffering. So to summarize here, mindfulness is both a state made up of popular, I'm sorry, particular mental skills, attention, non-judgmental, present moment awareness and acceptance. And applied to psychological suffering, it's fairly easy to see how being non-judgmental towards difficult thoughts, feelings, sensations, memories and images that will not go away can be helpful. For example, if we're worrying Instead of shaming ourselves for the worry, trying to make it go away and avoiding life until it goes away, we can just notice and label the worry. There's worry. From a place of non-judgmental compassion and curiosity. Huh, I wonder why my mind is so agitated today. My mind's especially active today, trying to attain certainty and predict the future with worry. I wonder what's going on there. 
or with a low mood, we can just notice a low mood with non-judgment, non-judgment, allowing it to run its natural course from a place of flexible distance rather than trying to make it go away, which can actually make it worse because we're preoccupied with it and catastrophizing about it. So really, paradoxically, the more we accept unpleasant inner experiences and allow them to run their natural course, the more we're able to live the life we want to live. We don't let our inner world get in the way of a fulfilling, rewarding life. Applied to relationships when we're present to the people around us, anchored to what is unfolding in the here and now, as well as more accepting and less judgy and reactive, we're able to simply allow people to be themselves, which can strengthen our relationships. Of course, we create distance or boundaries when those are needed, but for most benign interpersonal exchanges, we don't get irritated, we don't get overly critical or judgmental. We're non-reactive and accepting towards this person who is created in the uh, image of God as a child of God, and we offer mercy and grace like God offers to us each and every moment of the day. From my perspective, there's an enduring freedom and peace in letting go of our futile attempts to control other people. And... Instead, we're choosing to let them be themselves, just like we want to have autonomy, just like we want to be able to make our own decisions. We extend that to other people. Along the way, we're learning to appreciate others and their differences, to be more present to our loved ones and co-workers or, or fellow church congregants, to accept our own and others' inner and outer states, and ultimately to be less reactive so we don't live in a constant state of regret, lost in our mind because we're ruminating a past we can't get back or worrying about a future that's yet to arrive. For Christians, though, we have a different way of making sense of interpersonal exchanges. Although the mental skills of attention, present moment awareness, and acceptance are not solely housed within the Buddhist religious tradition, they, they are exercised in the context of our relationship with God within a Christian worldview. So rather than interpersonal mindfulness, we might say we're practicing God's presence in all of our relationships, imagining there's a sort of chaperone date unfolding. Like a loving, protective parent who cares about our safety and, and security as they drive us around, supervising us, intervening with us on our first date. We can imagine that God is always with us to guide us in our interpersonal exchanges, which I'd like to discuss next, especially in the context of contemplation, which at its core involves a present moment awareness of God's perfect love with God moving in and through all of our experiences, especially our relationships with others. God is a God of relationship. He created us to be in relationship. Loving God and love, loving others are the two greatest commandments. And so as a result, God absolutely wants to be present to our relationships and guide us and, and for, our, for God's Holy Spirit to display the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so practicing God's presence is going to be essential for healthy relationships within the context of a Christian worldview. So turning now to Christianity... Since interpersonal mindfulness comes from Buddhism, Christians have our own way of making sense of interpersonal relationships with God at the center. 
guiding us with his perfect love and modeling servanthood and self-sacrifice in the form of the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ revealed through the Gospels. We have someone who paved the way for us to know how to be in relationships. And so to invite God into our relationships is going to help us to live optimally as Christians with love at the center. So a variety of classic Christian spiritual writings emphasize the salience of God's love in daily life. In fact, Scripture reveals over and over and over again. John 3.16, probably the most famous passage in Scripture, For God so loved the world. First John says God is love. Over and over and over again, we have definitions of love and examples of love. And from Genesis to Revelation, God pursuing us in love as a God of love. God chose to create and enter into a relationship with us and then continue to pursue us even though we are wayward and fallen and rebellious and turn away from moment to moment. We have the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Over and over and over we have examples of God pursuing us or when we wander away, God patiently waiting for our return with outstretched arms ready to celebrate with us. We worship, follow and can experience the God of love on a daily basis and invite him to be with us in our relationships. Just to provide a few examples of classic Christian spiritual writings that emphasize Christian contemplation, which I think at the heart of Christian contemplation is love. In the famous Christian spiritual classic, Treaty on the Love of God, the 16th and 17th century Catholic writer Francis de Sales defined contemplation as, quote, an adoring, uncomplicated, and enduring attention of the soul to divine things. Noting that, quote, an awareness of the loving presence of God results in contemplation, which considers the larger picture and a unified and beautiful wholeness. So with contemplation, if we use a camera metaphor, we're kind of zooming out and looking at the whole, a God of love working in and through his creation to reveal himself to us. In the same writing, DeSales gives the example of contemplating on God's infinite love and goodness and further suggests, quote, we can contemplate frequently and ardently enough to be completely out of ourselves and totally in God. There's a pivot from self to other in contemplation with love as the bridge. And we can easily see why this is so important, so salient for our relationships, given that we need on a daily basis to practice God's presence because God is a God of love and God can work in and through, through his Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, our relationships and help us deepen them and show God's patience and love and mercy and grace and self-sacrificial behaviors. So with Christian contemplation, we're zooming out to maintain an awareness of God's infinite love and goodness in the here and now, reminiscent of some of the mental skills cultivated in interpersonal mindfulness. Yet what is different is the point of focus. Rather than focusing on ourselves and our own inner inner experiences, we're first and foremost prioritizing God's love in the here and now, asking the questions, God of love, What are you doing in and through this interpersonal exchange? And God, how can I show this person your love right here and right now, focusing on and responding to them, not me? In fact, if Christian love is simply a benevolent, other-focused, intentional, selfless, and self-sacrificial responsiveness to the needs of the other, 
Can we in each human relational exchange contemplate the author of love, the Trinitarian God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and be a dwelling place for the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5, leading with love? Simply put, to practice God's presence means we are a dwelling place for God's perfect love to work in and through us to reveal God's love and display it to other people. And in doing so, we're trying to understand the inner world of the other, as well as be responsive to the nonverbal cues they are providing us so that we can love them in the here and now. We're also being non-reactive, given love is patient and kind and is not self-seeking, consistent with Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And we're accepting the other person as a child of God, created in his image. We're essentially saying, God, help me to see this person the way you see them, not the way my own fallen, human, distracted, uh, judgy, critical mind does. Turning now to another contemplative author, Thomas Merton, a 20th century Catholic monk, he wrote extensively on Christian contemplation. According to Merton, contemplation is, quote, not so much a way to find God as a way of resting in him whom we have found, who loves us, who is near to us, who comes to us to draw us to himself. In his famous book, New Seeds of Contemplation, Merton said of contemplation, quote, Contemplation is the highest expression of man's intellectual and spiritual life. It is that life itself, fully awake, fully active, fully aware that it is alive. It is spiritual wonder. It is spontaneous awe at the sacredness of life, of being. It is gratitude for life, for awareness, and for being. It is a vital realization of the fact that life and being in us proceed from an invisible, transcendent, and infinitely abundant source. Contemplation is, above all, awareness of the reality of that source. I want to repeat that part. Contemplation is, above all, awareness of the reality of that source. What is that source? The God of love who created entered into human history to reconcile us to him. It knows the source, obscurely, inexplicably, but with a certitude that goes both beyond reason and beyond simple faith. There's a deeper knowing, an assured confidence that this God of love is active and real and present in my life. For contemplation is a kind of spiritual vision to which both reason and faith aspire by their very nature, because without it they must always remain incomplete. In the same book on contemplation, Merton goes on to suggest, quote, One of the paradoxes of the mystical life is this, that a man cannot enter into the deepest center of himself and pass through that center into God unless he is able to pass entirely out of himself and empty himself and give himself to other people in the purity of a selfless love. So, for Merton, contemplation is other-focused, resting in the God of love, who is revealing himself everywhere. That is, we are practicing an awareness of what is already there, the God of love at the center, and we're focusing on God, then other people, anchored to God's love, which helps us to extend a selfless love to others. Overall, like Francis de Sales' teaching on contemplation, Merton's writings elucidate, 
some overlap with interpersonal mindfulness, especially mindfulness, especially being aware and present to the other. But of course, the relational component makes all the difference. We are not there alone to navigate the roads of life, trying to interact with other people. We have God's special revelation that reveals who God is and that God is active and present and loving us in the midst of these relational exchanges, and therefore we can practice his presence. To offer one more example of a Christian alternative to interpersonal mindfulness, the 17th century French Catholic brother Lawrence developed a famous set of instructions on practicing the presence of God that have stood the test of time, still popular in the 21st century, centuries later. In the practice of the presence of God, he wrote, quote, We must keep our eyes fixed on God in everything we say, do, or undertake. Our goal is to be the most perfect adorers of God in this life as we hope to be throughout all eternity. He went on to teach, quote, The holiest, most ordinary, and most necessary practice of the spiritual life is that of the presence of God. Presence of God. It is to take delight in and become accustomed to this divine company, speaking humbly and conversing lovingly with him all the time, at every moment, without rule or measure, especially in times of temptation, suffering, suffering, aridity, weariness, even infidelity and sin. We must continually apply ourselves so that all our actions, without exception, become a kind of brief conversation with God, not in a contrived manner, but coming from the purity and simplicity of our hearts. We must perform all our actions carefully and deliberately, not impulsively or hurriedly, for which would characterize, for such would characterize a distracted mind. We must work gently and lovingly with God, asking him to accept our work. In terms of the actual practice, Brother Lawrence noted, quote, the practice of the presence of God is an application of our mind to God or remembrance of God present that can be brought about by either the imagination or the understanding. For Brother Lawrence, we're, we are to engage in any activity and pair this activity with a gentle, loving awareness of God. In other words, when we practice God's presence, we do so gently, humbly and lovingly, to quote him. And to maintain this awareness of God as we engage in daily activities, Brother Lawrence taught that we can recite, quote, a few words interiorly, such as, quote, God of love, I love you with all my heart, or, quote, Lord, fashion me according to your heart. Overall, this practice has some resemblance to interpersonal mindfulness, especially if we're practicing God's presence in the midst of interpersonal exchanges throughout the day. So we're gently, humbly, and lovingly conversing with someone as we interiorly say to ourselves, God of love, help me love this person like you love them. A modified phrase from Brother Lawrence. In doing so, we're attempting to maintain an awareness of both God and the other person, We're accepting the other person by being gentle and humble and loving like Jesus. And we're being non-reactive to this person like Jesus was when he faced conflict or opposition in the Gospels. Jesus had a, a calm, patient confidence because he knew he was connected to his Father. He knew his Father. It's sort of like we extend Jesus' famous statement on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, to our interpersonal exchanges, especially when they're difficult. 
As we practice God's presence in our conversations with others, we can ask a few fundamental questions from my perspective. God, what am I thinking and feeling right now? God, what might this other person be thinking and feeling right now? God, what is this other person revealing to me right now? And what does this other person need right now? God, how can I lovingly accept this person right now as your child created in your image? God, how can I be non-reactive to this person right now like you modeled in the Gospels? How can I be patient and non-reactive? And then ultimately, God, how can I love this person right now and display your fruit, especially love, patience, and kindness in the present moment in this conversation? So to summarize, interpersonal mindfulness includes firmly being per- firmly planted in the present moment in the conversation before us, aware of our own inner world, being aware of the other person's nonverbals, trying to understand their inner world, being accepting of the other person, and being non-reactive towards the other person. For Christians, though, we can practice God's presence in our interpersonal exchanges so we can love others like God's, God loves them. So now let's now turn to a short practice to strengthen our ability to be present in love to what God is doing in our daily interactions with others, leading with the love of Christ. So in this short exercise, you'll be practicing maintaining an awareness of God's presence in your relational exchanges throughout the day. Try to practice on your own, then practice God's presence as you interact with people, whether a spouse or significant other, a clerk at a store, a family member, a co-worker, fellow church congregant, and so on and so forth. Your job is to spend time with God in what may seem to be the simplest of relational exchanges, which can help you to practice God's presence when you engage in more serious conversations, encounters, conflict, and so forth. So practicing leads to then having a familiarity with what we're doing on game day, to use a sports metaphor. So first, slowly, carefully, deliberately, gently, lovingly, acceptingly, and non-reactively listen to the other person. Doing so with intentionality, purpose, devotion, and love in the present moment. Act as though there's no one else on this planet, and your job is to be fully immersed in what this person is doing and saying. This person is a child of God, created in God's image, and therefore is important to you right now, the most important person to you right now. And as you listen to this person, interiorly say to yourself, God of love, help me love this person like you love them. God of love, help me love this person like you love them. We might even say, God of love, help me see this person as you see them, not as as I see them. God of love, help me love this person 
like you love them. Maybe even in simplicity, just using the word love, repeating it in your mind as you're interacting with this person, as a reminder of God's love for you, God's love for us, God's love for the world. And whenever a distracting thought or feeling, a distracting sensation or memory or image in the inner world, or sound, sight, smell, or other sensory experience in the outer world, inevitably pulls you away from an awareness of the other person, ever so gently return to listening to them as you interiorly recite, God of love, help me love this person like you love them. God of love, help me love this person like you love them. God of love, help me love this person like you love them. Or simply, love. Love. And as this short practice comes to a close, thank God for his personal loving presence and ask him to continue to be with you throughout the day as you interact with his children created in his image and treat them like precious children, just like God sees them. So to conclude, interpersonal mindfulness has been increasingly written on, researched, and practiced within the secular clinical psychology literature. But even though it has mental health benefits, it comes from Buddhism, which means some Christians may understandably be reluctant to utilize it in daily life, even if it's supposedly been secularized or treated as a philosophy or psychology and not a religion. Fortunately, Christianity has a rich heritage of its own practices, contemplative practices, anchored to practicing the God of love's presence, which can be applied to relational exchanges with others and reap many of the same benefits from my perspective. So Christians can be present-focused, accepting, non-reactive, and aware of our own and others, other, the other person's inner and outer experiences. And in doing so, we can deepen our relationships and savor them, loving others like God loves them. With Brother Lawrence's practice, we can interiorly recite a short phrase to practice God's presence as we talk with and interact with others throughout the day, treating them as a child of God created in his image. And in doing so, we're emulating Jesus, who left us an example in scripture of someone who was present to those around him and loved like his father as he conversed with and lived with others in first century Israel. If you like this episode, please share it with others. Consider giving me a good rating on the various podcast platforms and join me again for another episode of The Christian Psychologist. Thank you.